Well, there's an old saying that I'm sure that you have heard that says, rules are made to be broken. I suppose that, that's not in the Bible, by the way, uh, I suppose that there's not a rule that has ever been made that has never been broken. It seems like that we know how to break rules. Human beings are good at breaking rules, and we get it honest. Our very first parents, Adam and Eve, in the garden, all they had was one rule. They just had one rule. They were in a perfect place. God told them not to eat from one tree. They had all these trees that they could eat from, as many as they wanted, as much as they wanted, everything that they could ever want. And God just said, hey, that one tree over there, do not eat from that one tree. That's the only rule that they had. How would you like that? How would you like to only have one rule in life? How would you like to have complete freedom, no rules, do whatever you want to, uh, and, but, but you just had one rule? That's, that's, that's the situation that Adam and Eve were in the garden as recorded in Genesis chapter 1. And they blew it. And guess what? You and I have been blowing it ever since. You and I have been consistently breaking rules. I bet you go five miles over the speed limit. I bet you'd, I mean, you know, we're good at breaking those little rules just a little bit, you know, just, uh, just, just enough to where we can get by with it. And some of you probably think in your mind, well, it's not really breaking a rule unless there's some kind of punishment, right? If the rule's not enforced, then it's not really all that much of a rule. Uh, well, it has been said in Scripture, uh, I think, I don't know who counted these up, um, but it's been said that there are 613 laws and commandments in Scripture. And I bet if we looked close enough, not only are we good about breaking rules in society or rules wherever that we don't like, we probably will realize pretty quickly that we're good at breaking God's rules as well. We see all throughout Scripture, and I, again, I don't know who added this stuff up, uh, but there are over 1,600 rules and commands and laws in all of Scripture, and we seem to keep breaking them. And unlike some rules that we find in society, uh, there are, there's a pretty heavy penalty for break, breaking God's rules uh, that He has given to us in Scripture. Now, we know that rules can be used improperly. However, we have been given God's standards. They're in our, they're in our Bible, and we're bound to follow them. And we're going to read 10 of these rules. We're going to look at 10 of these rules over the next 10 weeks. Uh, the rules in Scripture, the commandments called the Ten Commandments. And they're pretty basic. I won't read the whole text to you, but they're pretty basic. And some of you could, if you've been in church for any length of time, you could quote some of them. Maybe some of you could quote all of them. How many of you could quote all of them in order? Let me see your hands. You could quote all. That's pretty good. You could quote, I can't. I probably need to do that before this series is over, um, but uh, they're, they're pretty simple, pretty basic. Uh, don't have any gods before me. Don't make for yourself uh, a carved image. Uh, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Uh, teenagers, listen up. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. Uh, you shall not commit adultery. Uh, you shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness and uh, you shall not covet. Those are 10 pretty basic rules 
that have formed the basis, if you've ever studied Western Civ in school, they've kind of given us the basis of most of the law codes in a lot of Western civilizations. And they have certainly provided us a basis for a moral code, whether you're a Christian believer or not. Uh, They give us kind of the basics of what God expects of us. So what we're going to do over the next 10 weeks is we're going to look at each and every one of these commands. The sermon today is going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to go verse by verse through any one text. I'm going to kind of I'm going to splash out a lot of text on you today. I guess you could say that this sermon is a little bit more topical as I want to talk to you about following the law. And I really just uh, I really just have three things that I want to say by way of uh, by way of an of an introduction to this. I want to I want to first point out three ways that we can misuse God's law. I think that's really important before we study the 10 commandments. Three ways we can we can abuse or misuse God's law, and then and, and these will be the, uh, the out, my outlines on the back of your bulletin. You can take notes from these if you want; they'll be on the screen. And then I want to I, I want to uh, talk to you probably about what's the most important part of this sermon is how we properly use the law. After all, if we can if if there's a danger of misusing God's law, then we have to understand how, how do we use these things. I mean, these Ten Commandments, not just these Ten Commandments, but all of the commandments of God, what is the proper way to understand and to use the law of God? So I'm going to talk about that this morning. And then very briefly, at the end, I'm going to give you three reasons why we study God's law. And I'm actually going to, I'm actually going to ask you to formulate those three reasons into a prayer, a prayer of response at, uh, at, the end of this, uh, at the end of this service. But first, let's look at three ways we can misuse God's law. I'm going to give you, I, I guess, a, a little bit more of a structured, uh, uh, academic, intellectual understanding of this, but I think... I think I think that you'll as much as as much as is possible for Scott Parkinson. But I'm gonna I'm gonna give you uh, probably some more practical reasons that you'll be able to see uh, as to why these are important. So first off, ways we misuse God's law. Number one is called the antinomian heresy. This is a real heresy that has been around for almost 2,000 years and represents a way that Christians have misused God's law. You can go back and you can, uh, you can look it up. You can look up antinomianism and you can find a lot of information about this. And this is basically lawlessness. This is a way that we misuse God's law, especially God's law from the Old Testament. We basically say there's no use for it anymore. There's, there's no use for God's law. We've been saved by grace. We trust Jesus. We love our neighbor, and that's it. Nothing else really matters. No use for law. I dare say that hardly anybody, I, I, would, I, would, dare, I would go out on a limb and say that probably none of you here in this place 
would believe this. None of you here in this place would say there is no more purpose for the Old Testament. There is no more purpose for the standards of God presented in the Old Testament. And even the moral obligations that God has given us as revealed in the Old Testament, there's no use for it. We don't need it anymore. However, what I have found is that sometimes if we're not careful, we'll embrace what's been called like a a soft antinomianism. I talked about this whenever we went through Romans last year, and uh, especially those early chapters of Romans where we looked at the purpose and the use of the law. Soft antinomianism doesn't say that there's no use for the law, that we 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 don't embrace the law, but what it does is, is it's almost like, well, if we sin, it's no big deal. I mean, it's, it's just not that bad. And it really what happens is, is it removes repentance and sanctification from the gospel. Like you can be saved. It doesn't matter how you live. You can be saved regardless of how you live. That is a soft antinomianism. It leads people to say, I'm saved, but I'm not walking with God. Um, I'm born again, but I'm still actively just kind of living in sin, and it's really not that big of a deal. It's like this It's like this cavalier attitude towards sin. The Apostle Paul was accused of having this cavalier attitude towards sin in his preaching. But what we do know in Matthew chapter 5 tells us that Jesus believed, obeyed, and requires us to uphold the law. Matthew chapter 5. Look what Matthew chapter 5. I'll have this for the screen for you. Verse 17 through verse 20. This is Jesus in, in his first recorded sermon that we have in Scripture. He says, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. In other words, he's saying, I am, I am not for lawlessness. I am not an antinomian. He says, I've not come to abolish them get rid of them. I have come to fulfill them. And he goes on to talk about the importance of it, saying heaven and earth is not going to pass away until it's all accomplished. And then he says something about us. He says, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, and I can't help but think that maybe Jesus had the Ten Commandments in his mind as well as what he was about to say. He says, whoever relaxes these commandments and teaches others others to do the same through some antinomian philosophy, they're going to be least. But, uh, but whoever does them and teaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus clearly was not for antinomianism. So that's the first way that we misuse God's law is to not use it at all, just to dismiss it. The second way, and I'm going to use a term that many of us are probably familiar with, the second way that we misuse God's law is called legalism. And we'll just refer to this as the Judaizer heresy. Uh, Time does not allow for me to go through the book of Acts or go all the way through the book of Galatians or some of the other writings in Scripture to talk about this group of heretics that followed around the Apostle Paul as he preached the gospel among non-Jewish people. He would preach the gospel among non-Jewish people and start churches. He would preach Jesus. And after he would leave, this group of heretics called the Judaizers, they would come, and they were Jewish by nature, they would come behind Paul and they would tell these Gentile people who were non-Jewish people, they would say, Hey, we're so glad that you accepted Jesus. 
But here's the deal. You can't really be saved unless you follow the law. So if lawlessness says there's no use for the law, legalism is an overuse of the law. In other words, you have to follow all of the law or some of the law or in some cases, even a law someone might create, a standard that someone might give you, uh, you have to do that as well as receive Jesus. Uh, you have to behave a certain way. Uh, scripture calls this a different gospel. Acts chapter 15, verse 1 through verse 5, talks about this conflict that Paul had with the Judaizers. And then in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 10, the Bible gives a harsh word to people uh, who would be legalist. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He calls this legalism a different gospel. Um, and basically in these chapters, uh, he goes on to say, if anyone would preach this gospel to you, let them be anathema. Uh, he says it's really not the gospel at all. So legalism is the second way that we abuse God's law. And the third is what most of us probably refer to as legalism, but it's really more properly called moralism. I call this the pharisaical error. Uh, and the reason is, is because basically what moralism does, it says we're going to use the law to kind of clean ourselves up. Rather than using faith in Christ and grace, we're going to say, no, I'm going to use the law to clean myself up. This is what the Pharisees did in Jesus' day, and Jesus sharply condemned them for this. You and I would call this legalism, but it's really more properly called moralism. It's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the law so you can clean yourselves up. Now, that just doesn't work. We know that doesn't work. You know how we know? Because we know in society, if we pass a law that says it is illegal to steal, and if you steal something, you'll be punished, it doesn't stop people from stealing. It just doesn't. Wouldn't it be great if we just put a law on the books that said if you kill another human being, that that's illegal, and then it would just stop people from killing people, right? Wouldn't it? Oh, oh, here's a great idea. We can come up with all kinds of categories of killing people, like first and second and third degree manslaughter, first and second and third degree murder. We could come up with one really big one called capital murder and says if you murder somebody while in the course of a felony, oh, well, that's really bad and could get you the death penalty, wouldn't it? And that, that, would, that would end murder, right, if we came up with all those laws? Obviously not. We have all those laws. And there's still murder that happens in our society. You see, that's the problem with moralism. Moralism applied spiritually says, I'm going to give you God's standards and laws, and you're going to use them to clean yourself up. And it just doesn't work that way. I can give you God's standard, but there's something in us as sinful people that keeps us from being able to carry it out. This is why moralism doesn't work. Um, so here's a quote for you that, uh, uh, that I found. I thought it was really good. 
Uh, religious moralism is an emphasis on proper, proper moral behavior to the exclusion of genuine faith. You see, the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they weren't worried about matters of the heart. They weren't worried about that. They were just worried about the externals and how you looked on the outside and what you did on the outside. That kind of sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? I mean, how many Christians do you know that really condemn, you know, gossip? I mean, that's kind of like, you know, or pride. That's kind of like an, like an acceptable sin. Oh, but oh, if you go out and get drunk or if you, you commit adultery, oh, you're just the worst thing that ever happened. Well, do you, know that in, do you know that in Scripture we see those sins condemned equally side by side among the same list? And moralism would tell us who you are on the out, what you do on the outside and what you look like on the outside is most important. But we know that genuine faith in Jesus changes you from the inside out. So Jesus said some pretty harsh things uh, to the Pharisees. Uh, I won't read all these verses to you, but in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 through verse 28, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He says, you're like a pretty casket with a rotting corpse inside. He used that image to describe their spiritual life. He also went on to say that you, uh, you neglect the weightier matters of the law, which are internal matters, uh, but yet the external matters. He's like, you're really good at tithing on these really small sources of income. He said, but inside you have greed. And he's basically saying, what good is it to externally tithe when internally you're, you're really just you're greedy? And what Jesus goes on to say, and, and again, I won't read all these verses to you. I had them for the screen, but it's just so much. is why I'm just kind of telling them to you today. Jesus said what you should have done is, is tithed and not been greedy. Well, I mean, how, how do we do that? How do we become who we need to be on the inside and also do what we need to do on the outside? I don't know about you, but sometimes I find it hard just to behave right, much, much less trying to feel the right way on the inside. I mean, just the external stuff is difficult. And Jesus, Jesus made, a, made an emphasis on all the important things. So, so how, do, how, do, how do we accomplish that? Now, what I'm about to, these next three things, what I'm about to tell you, are really important. But first, let me, uh, let, me ask, uh, uh, let me ask our screen guys to go back where we have all three of those on that slide at once that I just mentioned. Um, yeah, this one right here. You're probably looking at this and you're probably like going, oh my goodness, antinomian, Judaizer, Pharisaical, oh my goodness, this is just, uh, this is just too, too academic for me. But let me ask you a question. Could you see how easy it would be to do this with the Ten Commandments? I mean, how easy would it be for us to say, ah, you know, that whole Sabbath thing, I don't really have to worry about that anymore. I mean, this, this, is really no, this is really no big deal. How easy would it be to say, well, we have no use for the Sabbath day anymore. Oh, we don't have any use for that law. That's that one command that we don't really need. Or how many of you would be tempted to be overly legalistic about maybe one of the particular commands? 
How many of you would have a tendency to say, oh, you say, but if you kill somebody, I mean, you just can't be saved and kill somebody. I mean, that's just like an unpardonable sin. Wouldn't it be easy for us to be legalistic about that sin? Or how, how about this moralism? How easy would it be to go up to someone who's an adulterer and say, look, the Bible says you shouldn't do that. You need to stop doing that, and then your life will be okay. Or to go up to a thief or someone who's materialistic and show them the Ten Commandments that says, you know, uh, uh, do not covet and, and do not steal. Or, or go to a liar and say, hey, the Bible says, do not lie. And just say, here, here's the rules. And you, you, just, you just need to follow them. And, and then you're going to be okay. No, you won't be okay. You won't. And that's, that's, that's moralism. And I don't know about you, but I need something more than moralism. I need something more than just following rules. In order, to, in order to feel a sense of spiritual fulfillment in my life, I need a relationship with my God. I don't, I, don't just, I don't just need to know that I'm following the rules that my God has given to me. I need a relationship with Jesus. I need something deeper than that. And so you can see how easy it would be to take these misuses, even, even with the Ten Commandments, so we have to be careful. I, I encourage you, if, if you take notes, to keep those. And as we go through the Ten Commandments, I want you to notice how easy it will be to dismiss a commandment, to overemphasize and overuse a commandment, or to make a commandment so important that you think if you could just follow that rule, that you would be okay. Now, what, now this next thing I'm about to tell you is really important. There are three ways that we properly, if these are the improper ways that we use God's law, there's three ways that we properly use God's law. The first one being the most important, and that is that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. In the Old Testament, there's ritual law, sacrificial law, moral law. There's all these laws. Jesus was the perfect fulfillment of all of them. Listen, so that you wouldn't have to be because you can't do it. You know you can't do it. You know you can't live up to all those standards. Adam and Eve just had one, and they couldn't live up to it. Jesus lived up to all of it. In Colossians chapter 2, the Bible shows that Jesus fulfilled the ritual law. Do you, know, do you know how many ritual laws there are in the Old Testament about how to dress and when to, I mean, it's just all kinds of things. Like don't wear a garment woven by two diff, in two different types of cloths and things you can't eat, like bacon. I mean, the Bible has all these ritual laws that says that what, what, what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to worship, and we don't follow that anymore. Why? Because in Colossians, the Scripture says that these were just a shadow of things that were to come, that the true substance was fulfilled in Christ. And Jesus also fulfilled the sacrificial law. This is why you and I are not bringing lambs and all kinds of things and slaughtering here and sprinkling the blood everywhere. Our maintenance personnel would not like that too much. We would have to pay our cleaning crew a lot. 
if we were to all do that Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year, we had to slaughter animals. We don't keep the sacrificial law. None of you have ever kept the sacrificial law. Some of you deer hunters have come close, but the rest of you, you have not come anywhere close to fulfilling the sacrificial law. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 29, that Jesus was the Lamb of God. He fulfilled the sacrificial law. Now listen, pay close attention to what I'm about to say. This is really important. To our point here in the Ten Commandments, Jesus fulfilled the moral law. He fulfilled it. He was perfect. He did what no other human being could do. I mean, a human being might have had the chance to fulfill that ritual law if they tried really, really hard and kept all those rituals. A human being might have had a shot, and maybe there was someone in the Old Testament that perfectly kept the sacrificial law. They made their sacrifices on time. They did them the right way. They followed all the rituals the right way. But guess what? No one has ever kept and fulfilled the moral law of God. No one. No one has even come close. There is no one that has been perfect. The Bible says that all have fallen away. Jesus was the only one that was perfect. He was perfect in every way, and he fulfilled it. And so what happens is, is looking at the law should immediately cause us to look to Jesus. When we look at the moral law, we think, well, I failed in that. But there's one person who kept every bit of it. And he never sinned. And he never broke anything. And that's why the way that we use the law, number two, the the law just, it shows us our need for Jesus. That's what the law does for us. You see, laws are not the solution to spiritual problems. They're not the solution. For you to, like I said earlier, for you to go to an adulterer and say, hey, God says not to do that, doesn't cause that adulterer to say, oh, okay, and never do it again. To take God's law and go to a thief and to say, hey, the Bible says don't steal anymore. And for them to go, oh, yeah, there it is right there. Exodus 20, verse 15. God said... Okay, and for them not to steal anymore. God's laws are not the solution. God's laws, they they don't do that for us. The law is simply the instrument that diagnoses our spiritual problem. That's all that the law does. The law law takes thou shalt not steal to, to the thief and says, hey, you're a thief. And the person says, oh, I'm a thief. The law takes the commandment of thou shalt not commit adultery to the adulterer and makes the adulterer realize, wow, this is really bad. It's worse than just between me and my spouse. I've broken my fellowship with God. 
The commandments just simply cause you to say, well, I know I talked mean to my mother and my father whenever I was a kid, but the Bible says that by breaking the command, by not honoring my father and my mother, I'm a sinner before God. It's affected my relationship with my Creator. That's what the law does. The law just shows you that you need to have faith in the one who kept the law. So Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 through verse 16 talks about this. I'll read a little bit of this verse to you. In Galatians chapter 2, verse uh, 15 through verse 16, it talks about being justified. I'll go to verse 16 if you don't mind. It says, we know that a person is not justified by what? It's not justified by the works of the law, by trying to follow the law. They're not justified by that, but through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law. So we believed, why? So that we can be justified by faith, not by the law. And look at that last phrase. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Listen, if you go down to the courthouse and you go into a courtroom and there's a case and a judge is hearing the case and a jury is hearing the case, they are bound to make a decision of what's right and what's wrong based on on the rule of law. The law is the tool for declaring innocence or guilt. That's what we see in a human court. In God's court, the law is not used as a basis of justification, only as a basis of the revelation of guilt. That's the only way that, 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 that law is used. God's law is not used to justify, to declare innocent, or to acquit. Only faith in Christ. The law of God does not show you what you must accomplish in order to be saved. The law of God shows you what is impossible for you to accomplish. It shows you what Christ has accomplished as the only one who has fulfilled the law. And so number three, and this is, this is kind of where we land. This is kind of where we land. We fulfill the law as Jesus lives in us and through us. And you know what? I thought about this during the first service. I should not put fulfill after we. We are never going to fulfill the law. That's technically not correct. We are never going to fulfill the law. We've already broken it, so we can't fulfill it. But what we can do is follow it. We can keep it, but not through our own power of goodness. It only comes as we have faith in Jesus and he lives his life through us. That's the way that it is supposed to work. It's almost as if we have faith in Jesus and he comes to live inside of us and, and this, this change happens. It's not like I've seen a law that says don't steal, don't commit adultery, honor your father and mother. And I've said, okay, in my goodness, I'm going to follow that. When we accept Jesus, he comes to live inside of us and he changes us and he empowers us so that when we do stop stealing or when we do honor our father and mother, when we do stop lying or committing adultery or when we do worship God only, we don't look at ourselves and say, look at me, I follow the law. We say, God has changed me. He's done something miraculous inside of me. I think the Apostle Paul says it better than me. 
Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. This is what Paul says. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. He says, it's no longer I who live. All this running around and planting churches and all this loving my neighbor and I'm not killing Christians anymore. And I'm all, He says, I'm not doing all that. It's no longer I who live. <coughs> he says, it's Christ who lives in me. And he says, the life I now live in the flesh, I don't live by law. I'm not running out there trying my hardest to follow laws. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, that's the power of faith that law is powerless to accomplish. Giving you the rules is not going to make you righteous. Rules don't make you righteous. They just don't. It has to be faith in Jesus. I love these verses. In Romans chapter 8, verse 3 through verse 4. It says, God has done. How did he do it? Through Christ. What the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. Jesus has done for us. Faith in Jesus does for us. Something that law could never do. Law could never create inside of us a change big enough to where we could follow it. Law can't do that inside of you because it was weakened by the flesh and he did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. And he condemned sin because he kept the law perfectly. And see, here's, th this is the struggle that you and I face. The struggle that you and I face is that we know that there are God's laws that we're not following and we want to follow them and we need a change to happen on the inside of us in order for that to be accomplished. And this is the reason that we study God's law. I'll just give these to you extremely quickly. Three reasons that we study God's law, okay? It just reminds us that we still need Jesus. If you came walking in here today, geared up for the Ten Commandments series, thinking that you are actually following the Ten Commandments, that's proof that you need to study them better. That's proof that you, you are relying upon yourself and not relying upon Jesus. Has there been a time this past week that maybe you didn't love the Lord like you should? You didn't love Him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Maybe you put something else above your love for the Lord. That's a violation of the first commandment and really the second commandment. You got angry this week? You know, some of you think, well, I've never, I've never violated the sixth commandment. I've never murdered anyone. Jesus says, if you've given way to anger, it's the same thing. He says that anger inside of you is just as sinful as that murder that might come out of you. What about the seventh commandment? Some of you would say, oh, I have been faithful and committed to my spouse my entire life. You say, I've never broken the seventh commandment. Well, according to Jesus, if you ever looked lustfully that you've already committed into your heart, you see how this happens? And listen, here's the good news that all of you came here to all of you came here for. All of us are adulterous, murdering, lying, covetous thieves who bear false witness, dishonor our parents, and violate the Sabbath. Aren't you glad you came here to hear that good news today? 
You see, the moment that we think that we're okay, the moment that we think that we're living up to all the scriptures and the standards that God has given to us, that's the moment when we let go of our faith in Jesus. What we need is we need to look in the law of God. It helps us to see us for who we really are as sinful creatures, but it also, listen, it does something glorious. It helps us to see the character of God so that we can know him better. That's what the law does. It shows us who God is. It simultaneously shows us his holiness while also revealing to us our sin and then gives to us a vision for who God is is leading us to be. Your life is on track to walk in the the law of God, But, but not by trying to following the law, by trying to follow Jesus, by having faith in him. So when we look into the law, we see our sinfulness, we see who God is, and we see where our life is headed. And this is really what I want you to formulate into a prayer for your life. I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment to bow your head and to close your eyes. And I want you to pray according to these three points. I want you to pray and acknowledge that you have a need for Jesus. And perhaps you've never called on the name of the Lord. That song that we sang earlier in the service that said, call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And maybe that's that's the way that you need to pray that prayer today. You need to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Or maybe you need to pray today that you still need Jesus for something in your life. Maybe there's something in your life. Maybe, um, Maybe you love something more than you love God. And maybe you need to return to that first love. Maybe, um, maybe you've been more of a workaholic and you haven't, haven't, haven't rested like the Lord wants you to do. And you need to really think about that commandment about the Sabbath day. Or maybe, maybe you stopped worshiping the Lord like you need to. Maybe that's, maybe that's what you need to pray about today. I don't know what it is. Maybe you've, maybe you've struggled with anger. And maybe you need to have more peace in your life. Maybe you haven't been faithful and committed to your spouse externally. But maybe internally there's something you need to pray about there. Maybe you haven't been honest in some type of way. You had not stole something. But you, ha- you, haven't really, you haven't really been honest in, in the way you've needed to be. Maybe you've been lying about something. Maybe you need to come clean to someone in honesty. I don't know what it, what it is that you might, to be, might need to pray about today. But I want you to pray and acknowledge your need for Jesus. Maybe as it has something to do with these Ten Commandments, externally or internally, the way that Jesus internalized them in the Sermon on the Mount. But acknowledge your, that, that you still need Jesus. I want you to also pray that God would just show to you His character. as Over the next ten weeks, as we step through each of these commandments... I want you to pray that God would reveal to you who He is. That God would reveal to you His character. And then I want you to pray that God would give you a vision for your life. Maybe it'll have something to do with one of these Ten Commandments. Maybe it's honor your father and mother. Maybe you're, maybe you're a teenager here today or you're a college student here today. Maybe you're, maybe you're a full-grown adult and you're estranged from your father and your mother. And maybe, maybe God would have a vision for something that he wants to do in your life there. Maybe you have problems at work. You're just working way, way, way too much. You're not resting enough. 
Or, or maybe you have some bad business practices and maybe you're stealing. I mean, I could go on and on and on and speculate with each of these commandments, and we're going to do so Sunday after Sunday over the next 10 weeks. I want you to pray that God would give you a vision for your life and for the righteousness and the sanctification that He wants you to have. Would you, would you pray these things? Just bow your heads right now. Bow your heads and close your eyes, and you pray any of the, any of the three of these, a need for Jesus, for God to help you to see who He is, or for God to give you a vision for your life. I want you to pray a, a, a prayer and just whatever the Lord might put on your heart during this time. Uh, and then Andy's going to lead us in a song.